This is Sheffield Hallam's number one football show. This is Shoe Football Forum. Now it's time for us to go a bit further north, in fact, into Scotland. Uh, because, as we were discussing on last week's edition, if you uh, if you tuned in for that one, Scotland, we said, had qualified for the Euros. And uh, we caught up, in fact, in the week with commentator and Scotland fan Rory Hamilton uh, to make his second appearance on Football Forum to discuss that game and the fact that I hadn't checked my stats properly when I said they hadn't qualified for a tournament since 1966, uh, 1996. Sorry. Evening, how you do? Do you know what? I'm going to have to pull you up. You've, when you, you wait that long for a tournament, you've done the South of France 98 as well. We were at that one. Oh, I do apologise. Uh, just before uh, our time, sadly. So uh, that's, <laughs> no uh, I get out of jail clause there. Um, shocking uh, anchoring from me, though. Uh, but it is great to have you with us on the programme. Uh, so first port of call. What did it mean to see Scotland finally qualify for their first major tournament since the World Cup in 98? I mean, it, like, it, it's funny because I think Scotland, the Scotland national team over the last few years, when they've, they've been unsuccessful, the interest has really dropped off. I mean, I'd, I've been at games in, in years gone by where there's been a, a queue to get tickets. Uh, we had, um, you know, we had the group where we had Italy, France, and and Ukraine beat France home and away. Uh, they were the they'd all been at the World Cup quarterfinals the year before, and then you couldn't get a ticket for Scotland games at all because there was a really good feeling around it. And from there, it's just gone downhill and downhill. And we're you know sometimes struggling to get twenty thousand at Hamden talking about taking the games around the country because there was no point playing at an empty stadium when you could maybe have it at Tynecastle or Easter Road or Pataudry. And then in the week leading up to the Serbia game there, suddenly there was just so much positivity and everyone seemed to have come together to support the national team, you know, putting all the club rivalries aside you know, Celtic and Rangers fans even even getting in and behind the national team. So that that was really good. And then then to do it, um, it, it I mean, it, like I've always said I, I'm a Scotland fan. I've I've uh, I've gone to every home game really for the last probably twenty years, uh, and started going away from home. I think two thousand and seven. So I tend to go away from home. Well, obviously you can't at the moment, but I try to four or five times a year uh, with my mates. That are the the ones that haven't had kids and got married yet, <laughs> we're the ones that still go away. Um, so I absolutely love it from a personal point of view. Like it was so exciting. There was you just go back through all the memories, which every trip is is brilliant. But then you remember about the game and, and you think of losing four nil in Norway and playing without a striker in Prague and all those games where they were just so deflating. But then you get this massive moment of euphoria. And I've always said it, that supporting Scotland, you really appreciate winning <laughs> because, it, because it doesn't happen all the time. So you, you just sort of rekindle that joy of, of winning a game. It means so much, whether it's you know, nicking a 1-0 win against the Faroe Islands or beating France in Paris. It, it's still that euphoric feeling. 
I guess it must have been pretty bittersweet. Obviously, one of the biggest moments in Scotland's recent history and, and not having any fans there. Uh, that must have been pretty bittersweet in, in a sense. But, you know, to counteract that, when fans are back, are you expecting the sort of boom in interest to, to come back to the Scotland national team, regardless of how they do in the Euros? I mean, I would, I would hope so, certainly leading up to the Euros. And, and then you'd, I, I'd have thought you'd get a little bit off the back of it as well. So hopefully they can do well and, and sort of continue that, that belief. Definitely leading up to it, the games, or two of the games are at Hamden, one of them's at Wembley. Uh, so there will be loads and loads of, uh, of hype for that. Um, not having fans there was, that was a real shame. I mean, I, I, was, I was looking at it from a personal point of view. Me and my mates back in uh, February, I think it would have been, had booked, um, we'd booked a flight to Vienna and then a flight the next day to Oslo and a train to Belgrade depending on who won the other semi-final between um, Norway and, uh, and Serbia. And then we were, you know, we were, we're kind of joking, like, oh, yeah, we can't wait to go and watch Israel against Serbia and Belgrade. Like, we're still going to go. But, you know, if Scotland had lost their semi-final to Israel, then it would have been a bit of a, bit of a wasted trip. But we'd have, we'd have still had a good time. So, uh, yeah, it was a shame not being there. Uh, one of my... One of my colleagues or former colleagues at Sky, Luke Shanley, uh, who's a, a reporter for Sky Sports News, he is, he's also a, a sort of paid-up member of the Tartan Army, and I think he might have been the only fan that got to be in the ground on the, on the night. So he was, he was uh, a lucky boy in a, in a position of much envy. And We've seen quite a few Scotland teams down the years, obviously not qualified. What's different about this team then? Uh, it's a good question. I think I think it's it's a pretty talented group, um, but we've always had that. There's always been good good players, good enough to qualify. When you look at a lot of the other teams and individuals that have made it to latter stages of tournaments, Scotland have always had that. But for some reason, whether it's the pressure that's got to them, I think um, I think Steve Clark needs to take that, and he will take a huge amount of credit. Um, for what he's done, he uh, he's obviously done a lot of time at big clubs in England and and as an assistant to um, to Jose at Chelsea. Uh, he was at Liverpool as well. Uh, West Brom, he had the job there. So um, he then came up, and his first job in Scotland was at Kilmarnock. And I think he was the only manager that Brendan Rodgers never managed to beat in Scotland. And his record against Rangers was superb. I mean. I did, a, I did a game uh, last season with BT Sport and, and called Rugby Park the graveyard of, of Rangers championship hopes because they'd done it twice in a row. Killy, Killy had beaten Rangers and, and they kept beating them there in the league and they kept giving Celtic a hard time as well. So I always thought Steve Clark was the right man to take Scotland on, taking on a, a group of decent players, but to get them to go beyond their level. I think that's that's the kind of key to a manager like him, and he's he's really rebuilt uh, that that good feeling amongst the squad. We don't see ten call-offs in the lead up to to games now. We're at a stage where where everyone wants to play, and particularly now as we've qualified for a major tournament, everybody wants to be involved. Involved. We could we could do with a, a goal-scoring centre forward. That's that would be the 
the one thing I think that we're lacking. Lyndon Dykes has done really, really well. Um, he's he's a he's a sort of big hold up target man. Uh, I think we could do with a, a natural finisher alongside him, but but we're we're looking all right. The three at the back that Steve Clark's introduced as well, from when I've seen Scotland. How much of it do we put down to that? Do you think that's a system that's, that they're going to go with? Despite, when I look at it, it's, it's sometimes square pegs in round holes. I've seen Scott McTominay playing at centre-back, for example. Yeah, uh, when they played the, uh, it was the opening Nations League games in September, and that looked like the system that he'd stuck on. And everyone was saying, no, we need to go back to the four. Uh, as, as you say, too many square pegs and round holes. Uh, in those games, I think they played the only two games, Czech Republic against their like D team, because COVID meant that they had no players. Um, and then Israel as well. And they they didn't it didn't look a cohesive unit. And then you, you got them a month later uh, in the semi-final against Israel and then the next set of Nations League games and suddenly suddenly it clicked and Scott McTominay has been playing the right side of the, the back three that whole time. And suddenly from, from it going, uh, from looking at it thinking, we've got no centre-backs, there's no good up-and-coming centre-backs, you're now looking at it and thinking, there's, there's a lot of guys who can, who can go in there. We actually have options, be it Cooper, uh, Kieran Tierney's playing as a left-sided centre-back for Arsenal. So... That's that. That was always the issue. Was, was we couldn't work out how to get Tierney and Robertson in the same team. It's it's that sod's law that you end up with two world world class players at the one time, and they both play in the one position. So you're, you're saying, what does Tierney start on the bench? Well, you have to fit him in somewhere. And thankfully, Arsenal have actually solved that problem for us. We played him at left side centre back. He likes to get forward from there, and and that that seems to work quite well. It's worth pointing out that obviously, um, regarding uh, Sheffield United fans, uh, John Fleck missed the game, being out with uh, an injury. Obviously, Ollie McBurney was on the bench and uh, and came on, scored one of the penalties in the shootout. We'll come on to that shortly. But as you were mentioning, obviously Tierney and Robertson, two world class players. Um, the question is, would you say that the side that beat Serbia? is Scotland's strongest side or is there any players that you can think of that when it comes to the Euros next summer right they'll definitely make that side uh, I think um, I think probably the one that was was the main miss for those games was Ryan Fraser uh, he really gives us pace pace on uh, in attack uh, which we don't naturally have a lot of the three-five-two doesn't suit him, but he'd been playing as a second striker alongside uh, Lyndon Dykes, which was actually beginning to form quite a decent partnership. You know, obviously, he's much more of a wide man. So before, uh, I think it was a year ago uh, when we played out in Albania, and we, and we were, I was at that game, and. He was over on the left-hand side and James Forrest was over on the right-hand side. And we were thinking, well, you know, this is how we have to play. We have to play on the front three. But that's now, that's now evolved. Forrest isn't quite on form. He's injured as well. Um, but it looks like, I think, Fraser probably playing off Dykes is our, is our front two. And then, then it's a case of, of 
fitting in fitting in the midfield. Um, because I, I always think uh, Stuart Armstrong gets quite a, a harsh deal by not getting many starts. Uh, I think he could force his way in. You, know, you talk about the Sheffield United boys, and, and John Fleck's a really talented player. It's so tough to get into that central midfield, though. Um, Callum McGregor's a really good player. Ryan Jack was probably our best player over these, these last couple of games. Uh, Ryan Christie's got, got goals in him. So I think Fleck will probably go in the squad uh, and he'll get game time, but probably not as a starter. McBurney, uh, I feel for Ollie McBurney because he gets a lot of stick. Uh, he, he doesn't seem to be the favourite amongst the, the Scotland fans. He's not scored yet. And in, in the last set of games, he, he hit the bar twice. And you just think, you know, if, if those two had dropped an inch lower then suddenly I think people would have a, a much better feeling around him. Uh, I, I mean, I like him. He, I, I don't think he played particularly well or particularly badly in, in the games. That he, was, he, he seems to be a target for, for supporters. They get on his back quite a lot. I'm, I'm not 100% sure what it comes from. Um, but he, I guess it, it's up to him to win them over. And, you know, those two, those two shots dropping in, That'll do it. I mean, scoring the Euros and, and he'll be a hero. It's worth uh, touching on David Marshall as well, obviously. He produced that wonderful save. And there was something I, uh, I noticed when I was watching towards the end of the Sky coverage um, last week. And there was talk of there being real competition for that uh, number one shirt, really. David Marshall, obviously, you'd probably, most would say he's now made it his own with that world-class save. But I definitely, there's some that would say that there are other options when it comes to goalkeeping. Yeah, there are. And, and David Marshall, uh, who's been in and around the squad for, for ages, and he's had spells where he's had the, had the gloves and, and long times where he's been third choice. Because we've actually, I know <laughs> Scottish goalkeepers are sort of traditionally a bit of a joke, but to be honest, we've, we've had excellent goalkeepers for the last 25, 30 years. Because if you think Gorham and Leighton, they fought it out for, for ages. Then there was a bit of a spell when we weren't so strong. But then Alan McGregor, Craig Gordon and, and David Marshall have been the three for, for a long, long time. Uh, and mainly it was between Gordon and, and McGregor fighting it out. But Marshall must now. He's, he's now got a good few caps. So that you know, this is his time, and he he will he will be the number one choice, barring injury. He'll he's the goalie that that plays. Um, I I remember him making his debut in um, in Barcelona, and the the Spanish press were going absolutely wild about him. Uh, he had an amazing game. I think I can't remember if they won or they got a draw and went. I think they maybe got a nil nil draw and went through. Uh, for Celtic when he, he just came on as a 19-year-old kid and, and made his debut and just the, the whole thing didn't overawe him. Um, so, yeah, he, uh, he's, he's the standout number one. He'll, he'll start good. And I assume he'll start up against England because it has been confirmed that we all knew what the prize was for Scotland to play England at Wembley in the Euros. It's probably a bit of a daft question, this, but I assume that you're looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, very much so. I mean, I, I was down at Wembley for the last two 
friendlies, um, which were pretty good. Um, well, one one you gave us a bit of a bit of an easy victory, but um, uh, the the game up at Hamden, if we can get some sort of a repeat, Scotland fans, England fans that I speak to still talk about that the two all game uh, as as just one of the best. Uh, games that they've ever been to the best moments I remember Gary Neville saying that in his, his entire career he hadn't heard a noise like he heard at Hamden that day when when Lee Griffiths knocked in those back-to-back free kicks and I was I was there with my mates uh, that I go to all the games with and it was strange it, it was one of those really really odd games because we were battered for 88 minutes and for that entire time if somebody offered me a two-all draw I would have absolutely ripped your arm off for it and then at the end, you're, you're going away disappointed because you're one Stuart Armstrong pass away. If he goes left, it probably, probably finishes 3-1, but he goes right, it gets intercepted, and then it goes to Harry Kane, you know, the last guy that you want that to fall to. Um, so I, it will rekindle that rivalry. You know, like I think back to growing up and watching Euro 96 and, and, and that game, we, we were right in that fight as well. And, and uh, Gary McAllister had his penalty saved by uh, David Seaman via Yuri Geller. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, and then Gascoigne went up, upfield and scored that incredible goal. But it, that, was, that was still a great game. And, and it was a game that Scotland were in. Um, and they won, of course, the, the second last game at Wembley. Um, uh, when Don Hutchison scored, we went out uh, on on uh, I think Paul Scholes has scored twice at Hamden in the playoff game ninety ninety nine or two thousand. So uh, I mean, if we, if we can stay competitive in the game uh, and and make it a bit of a dogfight, you know, make it a a derby, a rivalry, and and more about passion than technical ability because England have got far better players than us. But you know, if we can if we can make it a fight. Maybe we want it more. Who knows? Let's hope that we can have fans in. Hopefully, these these vaccines are distributed well because that's it'd be such a shame to not have fans in for that. But I mean, in terms of the Euros in general, obviously you've got you've actually got quite a decent chance, even if you do finish below England and Croatia, because the the third place teams go through, don't they? The the best place third place teams, and I don't know. Are you? confident how confident are you that you can finish above Czech Republic at least what are your what are your hopes for the rest of the tournament aside from the England game uh, I mean I, I don't think the Czechs are p- particularly strong I don't think Croatia are, are the side that they were in Russia um, and remember we've got those two games at Hamden so we play both of them effectively at home if you know crowds will make a difference um, so I think they should they should fancy themselves of of picking up a, a qualification spot out of that. Uh, I, I would really think we shouldn't finish bottom of the group, um, but we've never qualified for the knockout stages of a tournament ever. Even even in the days of having world class players like Kenny Dalglish and Joe Jordan and Dennis Law, you know, you look at the teams that that, that we put out to World Cups in the sixties and seventies and early 80s, I mean, those teams should have been making quarterfinals. They, they, were, they were really good sides, and, and they still never managed to make it through. I mean, we, 
I think we famously were the, the first team to go out and on uh, on goal difference from a group stage, and then the first team to go out with not having lost a game. So you know, a few things worked against us, but um, ah, you never you never know. If, you know, if this is the year that we break that um, that long duck from from a major tournament, you know, maybe it's also the one that we make it through to the group stages. I have to say they're making it easier and easier a to qualify for the euros and b to get out of the group so if there's ever an opportunity is this and obviously you've qualified for the euros but there was the elephant in the room which came as regarding slovakia and israel both one nil defeats and you missed out on promotion to the nations league league a i mean that that was a blow they 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 put themselves in great positions in that game. They actually in those two games they played really well, um, and to think that those those three games, including the Serbia one, they they dominated all three of them and only scored once. So that it, that will be a concern, definitely. That we are not a prolific clinical side. We had loads of chances in them uh, and. Really, I think I think the balance of the team is is looking right. Uh, it's taken quite a long time to get that. Uh, so now they've got to work. They've got to stick with that solidity that they've got because they weren't conceding. You know, you know two goals over the three games, uh, all away from home. You'd probably take that beforehand. Uh, so they've got a defensive solidity, but at, at a cost that means that they're they're not such a danger going forward but they got themselves into positions so I think it's just going to take a bit of work to get those combinations right uh missing out on on promotion to to league a I think I think that is a blow they you know it undid undid the the good work that they'd done uh earlier on in the group um so I think they'll regret that once you get to league a you get a much better chance of of getting into playoffs, even if you finish bottom of your group, because generally everyone else in League A is qualifying through the natural qualification process. So you, by a process of elimination, you become the League A team in, in the playoffs. There's quite a few that have done it this time around. So, uh, yeah, I think that was poor. League B is, is our left. There is no doubt about that. In League A, we would have had a tough time. We would have finished bottom of our group. Um, so League B's are level. Maybe it just takes a, you know, another couple of goes at that. If if the Nations League is going to be around in four years' time, who knows? I imagine though that obviously, if you'd have been given the choice of League A promotion and a spot at Euro twenty twenty one, you'd have snapped me hand off at Euro qualification. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's that's a no brainer. Absolutely. <laughs> It's not um, quite the glory in, in uh, promotion to League A as, uh, as going to a major tournament. <laughs> Rory, it's been a huge pleasure to uh, to chat to you this evening. Really appreciate you giving up uh, your time to speak to us. No problem. Pleasure as always, boys.